it's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show, 1-866-408-7669. This hour, we're going to be joined by Senator uh, Roger Marshall in a matter of moments. And then we're going to be joined by... Oh, oh, Harry Katsianis. This is a new ad. I did not know this, uh, which is going to be great because he has real expertise in this region, in the Pacific region. That's where the president is. He's in Tokyo right now. He's in South Korea in Seoul uh, two days ago. And then he's going to come back uh, eventually, we believe, uh, and then be able to realize the American people really care about the economy. I do think it's an important trip. I agree with Mitch McConnell. I have no problem with him going. You can't time these things perfect. There's always something going on. But And I do think it's important to show united front against uh, China and the difference between China and Russia, India. India is anti-China. They're pro-Russia. India is going to be on board with us. Australia is going to be on board with us. South Korea and Japan are going to be on board with us. But the president's already made a big mistake. So let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. James Baker, the FBI general counsel whom Michael Sussman has been charged to to lying to about whether or not he was representing anyone when he was shoveling the dirt, testified under oath that he is, quote, 100% confident that Michael Sussman did not say he was there for a client, thus gutting his defense. Cash Patel. I don't know many people. He and Andy McCarthy know as much about this case as anybody. And I'm talking about the Durham trial. All eyes on D.C. as Durham moves into week two. We review the devastating news to Hillary Clinton camp and to Hillary Clinton in particular. Everything we already kind of knew, but now we got confirmation among people on the inside under oath. Please pay attention and tell your moderate so-called independent friends this matters. Number two, you were quoted as saying corporate greed is a bad theory of inflation. Is that another way of saying that what Democrats are talking about is just a gimmick? I think it's pretty gimmicky, um, these price gouging bills, because, you know, he's got a lot of extra demand. What happens when demand goes up? Prices go up. Jason Furman, Democrat, kind of calling out Democrats, primaries and policies. Big Tuesday for five states, and we'll preview as we learn one thing all people and all parties agree on that should be the focus. One word, inflation. Number two, the overall economy. Number one. You didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? That's a commitment we made. Right. Uh, however, we didn't really make it that way at all. Here we go again. And the walkbacks at home, courtesy of President Joe Biden, involving superpowers again. The latest, as it relates to Taiwan, will flash back on the ongoing reality show entitled Joe Unscripted. Uh, let's bring in Senator Roger Marshall. Senator, you spend uh, a lot of time talking about issues that matter a lot. Uh, the southern border, I would argue, uh, matters as much to American security as anything happening overseas. But this is an important trip. Are you surprised the president gets walked back by his own State Department within a half hour making that statement? 
Oh, we're, we're not surprised, are we, Brian? We need another cleanup in aisle six. Uh, I think that's Brett Baer's statement, what he usually says when the president makes a mistake. This is the next chapter. This is why our allies are so confused. They don't know who we are. I've said it over and over again. We are the leaders of the free world. We need to start acting like it. And Joe Biden sends out this ambiguous message that the, that the White House is going to have to walk back today. Look, let's be proactive. This is the theme of Joe Biden's presidency so far. He's a day late, a dollar short. We should be getting weapons to, to Taiwan yesterday, the month before, just like we should have got them to Ukraine before all this ignited. We saw the train coming, and we didn't do a darn thing. So a couple of things. So the White House immediately clarifies, right? So they say this, yeah. as the president said, our policy has not changed. He reiterated the one China policy and our commitment to peace and stability through the Taiwan Strait. He also reiterated our commitment under the Taiwan Relations Act to provide Taiwan with the military means to defend itself. That's not what the president said. He said we'd go indirectly. Here he says Taiwan with the military means to defend itself. That is different. It's another walk back. Now. Uh, just to give you an idea, a lot of people aren't upset. I know Newt Gingrich this morning says, I wish they would just hold what the President Biden originally said. We have to start making a stand. Now other people would be upset by that. Michael Waltz weighed in about two hours ago. Cut 10. I welcome the president's uh, strong language uh, right on China's doorstep as he's meeting with the new Japanese prime minister. I was then going to say, but I hope the White House doesn't come around and try to clean it up. It sounds like they already are. Uh, and that kind of ambiguity isn't helpful. So your reaction? <laughs> wow. So I think this just demonstrates the president's cognitive difficulties and he creates uh, this chaos that we don't need right now. You don't want to be making foreign policy live in front of TV cameras, in front of a foreign uh, foreign nations, all 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 the Tibet. Um, let's let's have some cooler minds prevail here. Let's do everything we can. Let's let's talk less and have more actions. Let's focus on arming Taiwan, helping them to defend themselves. Let's go back to some basic Reagan policies, Eisenhower policies of peace through strength. Let's be a strong nation with a strong military uh, and stop waving these swords. We we can have a few more actions and a lot less talk out of this president, and we'd all be better off. So what have you seen? I know you're down at the border now. I mean, it's one of those things that once you're there, you can't get out of your head. Uh, you just feel so bad for the Border Patrol because they're not backed up by policy. I mean, I know my Border Patrol, when I was down there, I was down there three times. When I was down there, you had President Trump doing everything to stop it. Even though they, they were still coming, he was trying to stop it. You have a president that's not trying to stop it, a vice president in control of it's not trying to stop it. Mayorkas, who wants Title 42 to go and says the border's under control. Senator Marshall, you're in the McCallum, Texas. Is the border under control? No, absolutely not, Brian. We've spent the last four days here. This is my fourth trip, and it is a human tragedy what we're seeing right now. Every night this place turns into a war zone. It's a sea of, of humanity that's in distress. The president, I'm telling, I'm asking, excuse me, I'm asking the president to come to the border and see what I see. And I don't mean stop at McAllen Airport. He needs to come to the border and see the tragedy that I see. He needs to come some fish some bodies out of the river. He spent, needs to spend the night with the Border Patrol officers like you and I have, encountering family after family units, groups of 20s, 30s, and 40s, 
unaccompanied minors, little two little girls. The first night, within five minutes, we encountered six years of age and eight years of age with no parent, no sibling with them, just traveled a thousand miles. They're dehydrated. They've had dysentery. Um, they're overheated. Their, their nutrition is horrible. Who knows what type of communicable diseases they got on the way. Hopefully that they weren't sexually violated. They would, and, and they're fortunately they met the border guard and we'll take care of them. Like, like you said, the border patrol is doing an amazing job down here, but this crisis is unsustainable. Uh, one more quick story. I spent a night uh, with a rancher, lives about 60 miles from the border, past a, a checkpoint. Under President Trump, they would find one or two decomposed bodies a year, people trying to make that trek uh, up to their next pickup point. This year, they've already found 100 dead bodies, decomposed bodies. The president needs to come and spend a week or two with the sheriff's officers and help go pick up those decomposed bodies. Um, the president well, needs to see. He's not gonna, like, like you said. You, yeah, you've seen it before. You know it's so much different than what you what you hear about. But we're this way. You have Henry Cuellar, Democrat at the border, demanding you know just saying to the president, "I know this thing backwards and forwards. I can help you. I consult you." When people come to his area, they don't even visit him. They're trying to primary him. All he's trying to do is save save Texas and save his seat for the Democratic Party because. He's trying to tell them, if you think Texas is flipping just because they're Hispanic and many of these people are Hispanic coming across, you're not paying attention. Uh, I mean, you're not getting this great Hispanic wave of Democrats coming through. Number one, they're not not eligible to vote and probably will never be because they've got to get comprehensive immigration reform this way because they won't secure the border. What does it tell you that Henry Cuellar is having trouble even getting the nomination? Well, Henry's a good man. I spent four years with him on the House. He's got a good heart, and he's trying to defend his home, just like I'm trying to defend Kansas. Kansas is now a border state because of the fentanyl. Um, But again, just to put an explanation point here, the president wants this crisis. I do think he believes that these will be future Democrat voters, uh, that he's going to give them amnesty. No one told all the people lined up at the river last night that Title 42 was overruled uh, by by a court. They don't know that. That's not what they're being told. this is like the California gold rush right now here, and Henry Cuellar's district down here is going to suffer. The sheriffs in his district are simply just overwhelmed, and that's the war zone I'm talking about is uh, the farms are being disrupted and destroyed by people trapped by these immigrants migrating through. I mean, it looks like a, a herd of, of cattle have come across this pr- freshly planted corn right now. Uh, it's just one thing after another. It's a war zone down here. Um, gotcha. The president needs to come see it for himself. And by the way, they did a poll. Politico and Harvard did a poll. Should we lift Title 42? 55% are against lifting it. But yet they're still suing to lift it after a court really saved their butt and la- allowed Title 42 to stay in place. The other thing is that no one's telling the story is they're not, re- they're not enforcing the Remain in Mexico, which is against the law. And number two is Title 42. They've already started letting a lot more people in than they have to. So they're already trying to ignore the rules that are in place. And now we have monkeypox coming. Isn't that another yep. reason to keep, uh, keep the border secure? Yeah, Brian, you may recall before there was Title 42, within months after this uh, outbreak epidemic started of COVID, I asked Dr. Fauci in, in a Senate committee, 
why are we stopping people because of all the communicable diseases coming across the border, tuberculosis, mumps, measles. Uh, I've done humanitarian work all across the, the world. This is as bad as any type of situation I've seen. It's much worse than what I saw at the Poland-Ukraine border just a little bit over a month ago right now. But there's, there's plenty of reasons to keep them there. And again, to your point, this president has been ignoring the Remain in Mexico policy. He's going to ignore the, the Title IV court ruling as well. And, and simply stated, they're going to overwhelm the Border Patrol. I talked to the Border Patrol this morning, uh, a record week last week. It's a crescendo of activity. Eighty percent of the Border Patrol's time is, is being spent right now at the detention center, being a restaurateur, being a waitress, getting people showers. Our borders are unprotected right now, and, right. and it's going to double and triple tonight, the number of people crossing the border. This crisis is unsustainable. All right, Senator, thanks so much. Appreciate it. Okay, Brian. Thank you. Have a great week. Be you guys, Senator Roger Marshall doing great work, leaves Kansas and spends a weekend at the border, and he's still there. It's Monday. I watched him with Maria on Sunday. Senator Roger Marshall of Kansas. Henry Katsianis at the bottom of the hour. When we come back, I'll take your calls, one 408 7669 or you can write me, uh, Just click on comments. It'll get to me. Don't move. Giving you everything you need to know. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, folks, it's your man, Keyshawn Johnson, here to talk about Angie. Formerly known as Angie's List, your go-to home services. Marketplace for getting all your jobs done well. Now, you might be wondering, what exactly is Angie? Well, let me tell you. It's the nation's largest home services marketplace, connecting over 150 million homeowners with skilled professionals, to tackle any project, big or small. As a homeowner myself, I always have things I want to work on for my house, whether it's general home renovations or fun projects like putting in a pool. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it a breeze to research, compare, and hire pros, ensuring every job is done well. Whether you're fixing a leaky faucet or planning a full kitchen renovation, Angie's got your back. And get this, folks. Angie's pros aren't just any old contractors. They're your neighbors, often running small businesses right in your community. Plus, they've been rated and reviewed by others in your area. So you know you're getting quality service. So why stress over home projects when you can turn to Angie? From finding the best price to scheduling a pro at your convenience, Angie's got you covered every step of the way. So get started today at Angie.com. That's Angie.com or download the app today to get started on getting all your jobs done. That's Angie, your trusted ally in home services. Out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan. But you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. A talk show that's real. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Should Americans be prepared for a recession? In your view, is a recession in the United States inevitable? No. Why not? 
Look, you're, you're talking about the significant progress we've made in making sure we don't have supply chain backups. Uh, we've created over 8 million new jobs where unemployment is down to 3.6 percent and so on and so forth, as if they're a problem. Imagine where we'd be with Putin's tax and the war in Ukraine had we not made that enormous progress. I don't even know what he's talking about. Uh, if you want to say something about the economy, say it's good news. You know, there are jobs out there. 11 million jobs are open. 7 million people looking for jobs. You would think they'd fill them up. The matchup's not right. The GDP is growing. Okay, that's fine. But here's the problem. Inflation's growing way too fast. Interest rates are going up to control inflation. We know about wages are not keeping up with that. We know everywhere we go, you can't get used cars. There are no chips. You can't get baby formula. There is none around. You're flying a few planes into Indiana, and you think you solved the problem. That's the issue. And what do you, you keep saying to, to solve this problem and make it better, you should have passed Bill Back better, and they're still trying to do it. More spending. More spending. So, And then they sent Brian Deese out. And I know economists aren't known for their personality, but this just goes uh, to another level of inad- inadequacy. Here is what Jason Furman said who you, on Face the Nation uh, over the weekend from the Harvard Kennedy School. Uh, cut 20. You were quoted as saying corporate greed is a bad theory of inflation. Is that another way of saying that what Democrats are talking about is just a gimmick? I think it's pretty gimmicky, um, these price gouging bills, because you know, you've got a lot of extra demand. What happens when demand goes up? Prices go up. Um, There's an old saying, the cure for high prices is high prices. Um, That's a little bit of a painful thing to deal with, but it's what elicits the additional supply. It brings more producers into the market, and it's what brings prices down. And we need to let um, that process work. You try to interfere with it, and you're going to make things worse. We tried that in the 70s. It was a big failure. We shouldn't be repeating it again. Jerry, listen, WNDB in Daytona. Hey, Jerry. Hey, Brian. Good morning. Uh, this is exactly the, – the border is exactly what um, Biden and Mayorkas and some of these people want. It, uh, I caught a 2015 C-SPAN deal with Biden speaking about how, you know, the, the, what the future will be for this country in 10 or 15 years and the, the people crossing the border and the makeup of our country. And it was very telling. He's got Mayorkas at his side, and a big smile comes over his face when he, when he says – the more the people that come in makes our country more stronger. And we, ha- you know, the pathway to citizenship and my puts a big smile like Joker and the Batman on his face. So this is exactly. And with Rachel Campos Duffy with, with her interview, I, it's the first time I'd seen it. All she was doing was speaking to some people that were, had just been placed into custody and that's not permitted. So I, I, it's incredible on how she wasn't even able to ask a question because now they're in uh, right. the border patrol. Because she knows Spanish and she was able to immediately interpret what they're saying from Cuba and from Venezuela. And what you also saw from her shot is a helicopter. And you look down and all you see is these huge swaths of fence that we paid for. Now we're paying to store as it rusts in the desert. Realize how much easier the Border Patrol would be and you surround it with cameras, electronics, and roads. 
That that 100%. to me. Yeah, I mean that to me. I don't want to go through an impeachment trial. Plus, they're never going to get the votes. That's impeachable. You left our back door open. We don't know who the hell's coming in here. They're driving down wages. We don't know what diseases they have in the middle of a pandemic. Now we got monkeypox. We don't know where that came from. Well, I'm sure you, but we think the pandemic's over. We're going to lift Title 42. Uh, Janine, uh, Jeannie, I'm sorry, you're in Georgia. Hey, Jeannie. Yes, I am. Um, I wanted to tell you about the Trump backing Purdue. The reason the people are going for our governor, even though we're really Trump supporters, is that he was a terrible senator. Absolutely terrible. I work for Bob Dole. I know what a senator's supposed to do. We never got one piece of paper, No, nothing about legislation. You'd call his office. Nobody would ever call you back or send you a note. And the people just did not like him, and they don't like him. And they're caught in the middle because they love Trump. Wow, that's interesting. Uh, I know, and plus, he kind of, Trump kind of told everyone not to vote last time. That doesn't help. Kemp has done a lot of good things, uh, and he also did voting reform. So I think that he's doing a good job trying to stay above it. And then his goal is to take out Stacey Abrams, who's extremely popular. If Abrams wins, not only does she screw up Georgia, but she runs for president. A radio show like no other. It's Brian Kilmeade. You didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are. That's a commitment we made. So that was the second time the president said that in two years. So, uh, in fact, he's, this is what he said. Um, this is what he said back October 21st, October 2021. Uh, this we said to Anderson Cooper. Cut two. So are you saying that that the United States would come to Taiwan's defense if yes, China attacked? Yes, we have a commitment to do that. So is the president, as former Senate, uh, he was pro- former uh, chairman of the Senate Foreign Relations Committee, does he not know our policy? Is this the policy he wants? Because he immediately got walked back twice, again, a half hour after saying it, that that's not his policy. With me right now is Harry Katsiantis, a real uh, uh, expert in this area. Harry, is the president right or is the walk back correct? Hi, Brian. No, the president's right. I mean, standing U.S. policy going back, you know, really since the Nixon administration is that we would come to Taiwan's aid, you know, if there was ever any sort of cross-strait invasion by the, by the Chinese Communist Party. But look, I, I appreciate the comment. And I, I think it's great that he keeps reaffirming that we'll defend Taiwan. But, Brian, here's the problem. What are we actually doing to defend Taiwan? I mean, look, we don't need to send 100,000 troops over to Taiwan, but we could start really doing a lot more advanced planning to help the Taiwanese in their own defense. I mean, look what we've been able to do with Ukraine in just a few months in a rush situation. We have not done any of the things, Brian, that we need to do to ensure that Taiwan is essentially a fortress that Taiwan can't attack. We haven't done anything like giving them F-35s, javelins that have been so effective in terms of, of protecting Ukraine. And I can go on and on for days about the equipment that we could give to them that they want to buy, but we're not doing that advanced planning. And the Chinese Communist Party's military just keeps getting more robust, more powerful, and making it harder if we did have to defend them. Yeah, okay, so a couple of things. So the president comes out and makes that. So here's the clarification. Uh, As the president said, our policy has not changed. He reiterated our one-China policy and our commitment to peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. He also reiterated our commitment under the Taiwan Relations Act to provide Taiwan with the military means to defend itself. That's not what he said. That's it. 
So don't pretend this, – this is a walk back. Don't pretend that the president said we would defend, not provide uh, ammunition for them to defend. You know, you're right. And it's honestly, Brian, I'll be honest, it's a stupid walk back. I mean, the, the phraseology of the whole thing doesn't even make that much sense. But I honestly, I, talking to, to senior Trump administration officials, Obama administration officials, but current Biden administration officials, the, the official policy is that we would come to Taiwan's aid. Now, I'm going to drop a big corollary on that and say that it has always been vague on what we would do. My assumption, and you know what they say about assuming things, Brian, is that we would ferry troops over to Taiwan, that we would come to their aid, because we realize that if Taiwan was conquered by the Chinese Communist Party, they would control the vast majority of the computer chip industry. So this iPhone I'm on right now, I might not be able to ever get another one if they took over the, those facilities. And they would have a gateway right in the Pacific Ocean to threaten our, our, our territories and bases in Guam, Hawaii. It opens the complete door to them to the Pacific, and that's what they would want. And that's why Americans need to care about this. So here's what, uh, here's what Robert Gates said yesterday as he's noticed Looking at what's happening with the Russians, you know, watching them struggle, you watch the, the the whole superpower with this great military, that whole the, that whole review looked preposterous at this point, and you see how they've been isolated. This is what he thinks China has learned from this. Cut thirteen. Looking at the Russian military performance, he's got to ask himself, what if my equipment isn't any better than the Russians? What if my troops aren't any better than the Russians? Maybe my military is not as good as they're telling me they are. The Chinese have given the Russians all kinds of rhetorical and political support, but they are doing very little uh, concretely to help the Russians. My guess is Putin told Xi before the Olympics, look, I'm going to do this. It's going to take a few days and it'll be done. I'd wager that she never uh, expected a protracted, brutal conflict that would isolate Russia so much uh, from the rest of the world. And so I think he's playing it actually very cautiously. What do you think about the, the former secretary of defense and CIA director? Well, I mean, I've got a mixed, mixed thoughts on Gates, but I, I, I will say this, Brian. I think if you arm Taiwan correctly, if you give them the tools to defend themselves, I think a lot of weaknesses would show up in the Chinese military arsenal. There's a lot of talk and discussion in defense circles, Brian, that, yes, the Chinese do have stealth fighters. They're building stealth bombers. They've got missiles that can hit aircraft carriers. But their training regiment is nowhere near as complete as the United States or the U.K. or any of our NATO allies. That seems like there's Achilles heel. Taiwan, on the other hand, if they're fighting for their country, their homeland, their freedom, just like Ukraine is, even if their weapons aren't as good, that the training and the robustness and the, and the spirit that they would carry on for their defense can sometimes tip the advantage, as we've seen. So, look, it's tough to tell. It, it, you know, we're never really going to know how well the Chinese will perform unless they actually go to war. But I know this. I've fought simulators where Chinese have been tried to invade Taiwan and ends up taking months and years to get that victory. And in the meantime, their economy has turned to rubble by sanctions. So and what is the point? On- Taiwan is not a threat to China. I mean, we're coming off a pandemic that they caused. Their economy is not doing well on their standards. They've locked 25 million people locked down like idiots because they're on this zero COVID policy. They're locking down now Beijing. And now they're like, well, we got to handle Taiwan. What threat is Taiwan to them? It's all pride. Yeah, you know what it is, Brian? It's that, that is, Taiwan is a direct symbol of what a Chinese democracy could look like someday. Every time I have gone to Taiwan, I can tell you, Brian, there is, there is 
tens of thousands, if not millions of Chinese tourists in Taiwan going through their museums, looking at their industry, looking at their democracy. And look, it's a sloppy democracy, Brian, no doubt about it. But, but they actually getting to see what a free Chinese society can look like. And to be honest with you, for the Chinese Communist Party that's using AI and every possible tool they can to, to, to destroy any sort of possibility of freedom in China, that terrifies them. So it's not the military threat so much, it's the societal threat, that soft power threat that everybody always likes to talk about in academia and the ivory towers. That's what they're scared of. So this is what Michael Waltz brought up, uh, the congressman from Florida, he's still in the National Guard, former Army Ranger. He said this about, yeah, you could talk tough, and he was like you. He liked what Biden originally said, but he said this is the fact. Cut 11. The Biden administration just sent to Congress a defense budget that only accounted for a 3 to 4 percent inflation figure. So when you actually talk about buying power of the Defense Department, they're going backwards, guys. You know, the, the Navy right now is retiring 24 ships and only buying nine. Uh, meanwhile, the Chinese Navy is larger than ours and on track to be double the size of the U.S. Navy in the next five years. They're out building us in brand new ships five to one. Their space force is launching more into space than us and the rest of the world combined. This is the last thing we need in terms of a defense cut uh, right now. But this inflation thing, I mean, you're talking mm-hmm. billions of dollars of buying power that the military is losing. So that's a fact. That also send a message, right? Absolutely. And, and Brian, the problem is, is the defense budget is actually shrinking if you consider it eight or nine or even higher percent inflation number. And if you look at the situation in Asia today, the Chinese have have systematically set up a military posture to target our naval assets, our aircraft. So in a war, Brian, the Chinese plan to attack us would be essentially a bolt from the blue, a, a massive mi- missile strike like a, a Pearl Harbor like we haven't seen since the original Pearl Harbor. They would attempt to destroy our bases, our naval power, all from the thousands of missiles that they have built over the last 30 years. And we have not prepared for that. And that we've known that since the Obama administration. The Trump administration tried to, to, to work on that, and they did a good job. But we've fallen right back in the same problems during the Biden years. We've canceled things and cut back on the F-35. Your, the, the clip that you just played referred to them canceling the littoral combat ship. Those are all things that we need in the Pacific that can make a difference. And the Biden administration just seems like they're going to focus on Ukraine. They're going to downgrade our, our posture in Asia. We need to do both at the same time. And that if we can't do that, we have a problem. Harry Katsianis, thank you. Very, uh, very well said. Appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. You got it. one 408 I'll get your take on that. Also want to talk about the dorm report. Uh, and with the number one issue that you have on your mind in almost every poll, it's overwhelming. Inflation. It affects everything you're doing. It might even be affecting your weekend. Memorial Day. You're saying to yourself, is it worth it driving 50 miles? 150 miles. Is it worth it paying for airfare that's about 25 to 50 percent more than you were paying last year or pre-pandemic? You might say to yourself, I just don't know if it's worth it. I got a kid going to college. Prices are going up there. Do I really want to? So, I mean, there's there's a ripple effect that everyone's feeling. Uh, if you have a product, if, you, if you're a landscaper, you're paying more for seed and fertilizer. You got to turn around to that couple, middle class couple and say, hey, I got to raise your rate. Really? You committed to one thing. Now you got another. And if you can't pay that, maybe you don't have a landscape. Maybe you got to do it yourself or maybe someone's got to eat it. The ripple effect of not having truck drivers to not be able to unload ships and get those crates, uh, get those crates delivered. These all these things uh, can be ameliorated, but they got to be addressed. This is the Brian Kilmeade show. Learning something new every day on the Brian Kilmeade show. 
The more you listen, the more you'll know. It's Brian Kilmeade. Well, if something about the human race is changing at a previously unprecedented rate, we have to at least discuss it. Broken down over time, the LGBT population of America seems to be roughly doubling every generation. According to a recent Gallup poll, less than 1% of Americans born before 1946, that's Joe Biden's generation, identify that way. 2.6% of boomers do, 4.2% of Gen X, 10.5% of millennials, and 20.8% of Gen Z. Which means if we follow this trajectory, we will all be gay in 2054. So, Bill is pointing out this is an impossible ratio. I mean, it's unbelievable. I mean, what's going on? Is there something in the milk, the water? Um, how what, you're educating our kids. Right. I mean, how people are edu- education. So for, for Bill Maher to say this, he's getting a lot of backlash from liberals. No one's putting anyone down. It, these are stats. These are numbers. He's not saying it seems. And I wonder. He's saying what's with these numbers? No, he has the whole, it's like eight minutes. The whole thing is excellent. We have one more cup we can play now. We'll have more at some point during the show as well. Do you want to hear it? Sure. I'm just saying that when things change this much, this fast, people are allowed to ask, what's up with that? All the babies are in the wrong bodies? Was there a mix-up at the plant, like with Cap'n Crunch's Oops All Berries? It wasn't that long ago when adults asked a kid, what do you want to be when you grow up? They meant, what profession? In the wake of America about to lose abortion rights, the ACLU recently tweeted a list of those who would be disproportionately harmed by this. You would think women might top that list. No, wasn't even on the list. Second on the list was LGBT. Really? Abortion rights affects gay and trans people more than, you know, breeders? What do you say to that? I mean, it's 100% correct. I did not know that list existed. They did put out a list? They apparently did. I mean, clearly, if he's setting it, they did. It's insane. He's absolutely correct. Right. I mean, it's, it's... Everything screwed up. I just don't know where this issue came from. I knew same-sex marriage is an issue. I get it. I always heard about that. Like, you heard about that. You probably heard. You're uh, younger than me. That was an issue in school, right? I mean, it wasn't, like, prevalent, but it was like you could feel it getting. This came out of nowhere. This whole push, this trans rights, this uh, men declaring their women and then competing in sporting events. Now you have to pass... Uh, these pro-women athlete measures in states like Texas and Florida to make sure girls get a chance to compete against girls, women get a chance to compete against women. He goes on to say how, you know, for the gay pride parade, you know, there's not even a gay man who's like out of like the out of mean people there and how it's just getting it's just getting absolutely upside down. And also at one point he says, you know, just because you're like a minority doesn't mean you're right. Which, well, again, we'll have some more of this, but it's right. excellent. How, how soon do he's going to get Eli Musk, right? They're going after Elon Musk, and now they're going to go after Bill Moore and make him enemy number one. I mean, But I feel like they haven't gone after him as much as you would have thought, right? Because he's just he's right. just Because if he doesn't do he, a show, he hasn't really changed. It's Exactly, yeah. It's, it's, it's not it's like he's he for Bush. It's not like he's for Trump. It's not like he's uh, against, you know, he doesn't hate Barack Obama. He still loves Barack Obama. Like he's critical. I thought. Well, remember we used to play some of his clips too when Barack Obama was clearly out of it and was foreign policy and the red line in Libya. What was that? I remember playing some of his stuff and him calling that out. But I think when you're 
well-read on something and you're true to who you are, you can't really call people out like right. the left tries to do all the time. Right. What they'll do is go into your background and say, what would you do in eighth grade? What would you do in 11th grade? Uh, did you have a problem at 25 years old? So that's what they did, I mean, to Kavanaugh. So they'll go back and find something else. Well, Elon Musk, there was a problem with something on a private plane. They didn't have a problem with him buying. They couldn't stop him from buying Twitter. They can't stop him from making an electric car. But now they're doing investigations on problems they had with that uh, self-driving and some of that mechanism. So you watch. Now the government's really cracked down. So they'll, they'll get you some other way. A uh, couple other things. You know, Thomas Friedman's been on the show before. It's been a long time. And I always thought he's kind of a deep thinker, read his books. But Trump set him off, and he has not come back. And there's a lot of people like that. And that article, that column he wrote, that editorial that he wrote on Sunday is such an embarrassment. Did you see this? I did not, and I'm sure many of our listeners have not. So he writes an editorial and said he had lunch with uh, – he was asked to have lunch with Joe Biden, just him and Joe Biden. And he can't discuss what was happening at the lunch, but he can discuss how he felt about the lunch. He said, for all you knuckleheads at Fox who say that Biden can't put two sentences together, here's a newsflash. He just put NATO together, Europe together, and the whole Western alliance together, stretching from Canada up to Finland all the way to Japan to help Ukraine protect its fledgling democracy from Vladimir Putin's fascist assault. Are you think we're idiots? You really think that Joe Biden put NATO together? Joe Biden didn't put NATO together in the summit prior to that, didn't get him to spend one more dime as vice president, certainly not as chairman of foreign relations in the Senate. The thing that put NATO together was one man, Vladimir Putin. The reason why Sweden and Finland joined NATO alliance and is about to is because of Vladimir Putin. The reason why they're now spending 2% of their GDP, at least they pledged to, is Vladimir Putin. The reason why they have decided to do everything they can to get off Russian oil, gas, and coal is Vladimir Putin. There is no charisma. There is no working the phones. There is no leverage deals. There is no promise of American gas and oil and coal that supplanted anything that Joe Biden did. In fact, he predicted Ukraine would fall in 72 hours. He stopped a delivery of weapons to Ukraine that was being delivered from the Trump administration on the transition. He was the one late to the party when it came to arming the Ukraine. He was part of the administration. They gave them blankets and MREs after Crimea was just taken from them. He goes on to say that Putin has put together, uh, he said, he said, oh, get this, okay. In doing so, he has enabled Ukraine to inflict significant losses in Russia's invading army, thanks to a rapid deployment of U.S. and NATO trainers and massive transfers of precision weapons. All late to the party, complained by Zelensky, who's afraid to complain too much. Remember this, too. Remember, there might not have been an invasion had he not totally ignored every single one of his military advisors and pulled out irresponsibly from Afghanistan, leaving thousands of Americans behind, losing 13 servicemen while 20 others were wounded in an explosion, begging the Taliban for favors to get our people out. That is what brought everything together. Not Joe Biden. And for Thomas Friedman to pass that off as knuckleheads at Fox, we watched his press conferences. We watched him have to read everything off a page or a prompter and screw it up. That isn't being mean. That's being factual. He's given one interview this year. From the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox and Friends, it's America's receptive voice.
Brian Kilmeade. Thanks so much for being here, everybody. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hope you had a sensational weekend. If you're in the Northeast, we, we got a taste of summer. And I'll tell you, people are complaining about how hot it is. Guys, look fresh off the worst winter ever. Enjoy it, please. Uh, but that's 48th and 6th, uh, Midtown Manhattan and Long Island. I don't know where you are. Hope you ever experienced something similar. Kellyanne Conway joins me at the bottom of the hour. She had a big special on Fox last night. It was real good. Uh, it's called Here's the Deal. Uh, so we'll be able to talk to her. She makes some big news today, calling out uh, Jared Kushner, saying there was he wanted to be an expert in everything. So I'll get an expansion on that uh, and talk to her about uh, what's going on with the Durham trial, as I will Michael Goodwin from the New York Post. And uh, we'll get to that in a second. But let's get to the big three first. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Number three. James Baker, the FBI general counsel, whom Michael Sussman has been charged to, to lying to about whether or not he was representing anyone when he was shoveling the dirt, testified under oath that he is, well, quote, 100% confident that Michael Sussman did not say he was there for a client, thus gutting his defense. Yes, uh, Cash Patel knows the facts. All eyes on D.C. at Durham trial, or should be in week two. We review the devastating news of the Hillary Clinton camp for anyone paying attention. Everything we already knew, kind of. Everything about the false information sent to the FBI and press regarding Trump and Russia to, to doom a presidency and win an election. Number two. You were quoted as saying corporate greed is a bad theory of inflation. Is that another way of saying that what Democrats are talking about is just a gimmick? I think it's pretty gimmicky, um, these price gouging bills, because you know, you've got a lot of extra demand. What happens when demand goes up? Prices go up. Yep, Jason Furman from the Democratic Administration, Primaries and Policies. Big Tuesday for five states where we preview what we learn. Uh, one thing that people all care about is inflation and what you can do to help it. Gimmicks don't work. Number one. You didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? That's a commitment we made. Oops, but that's not what your State Department says. Here we go again with the walkbacks at home courtesy of President Joe Biden involving superpowers. The latest relates to China and Taiwan as opposed to Russia and Ukraine. We will flash back to the ongoing reality show entitled Joe Unscripted. First off, I got to get your take on this, uh, Michael Goodwin. You know what Joe Biden said. Joe Biden came out and said, yeah, if, if Taiwan's attacked, we're going we're gonna to back them up militarily. His administration immediately came back. And said, okay, this is what he meant to say. Uh, The president said our policy has not changed. He reiterated our one China policy and our commitment to peace and stability across the Taiwan Strait. Really? That's not really what I heard. He also reiterated our commitment under the Taiwan Relations Act to provide Taiwan with the military means to defend itself. That's not what he said. So how do you explain this, Michael Goodwin? What are we to believe? The walk back Uh, or the walk? (laughs) Good morning, Brian. Uh, There's a pattern here, isn't there? Uh, where Joe Biden says something, and then the, the cleanup crew rushes to put out a statement. Don't forget, this is the guy who said he basically supported regime change in Russia, uh, which would have been, 
you know, uh, that could have easily have sparked uh, a nuclear war if if, we, if Putin uh, had now a, an excuse that we were trying to, we were going to invade, we were going to assassinate him. Uh, and then the, they had to walk that back. And then Biden said, well, I spoke from the heart. I mean, you know, I, you almost get the sense, Brian, listening to him talk with that exchange that you played, that he is living in the past where he was a senator or a vice president, and he could say things that didn't really carry the weight of policy. They were, they were from the heart, wishful thinking, what should be done, what might be done, what could be done, but not what will be done. And that's the difference about being president. And I think in so many ways, he, his, his mind is not in this job. He's still a person of his own past. And I think, I mean, for example, uh, when his poll numbers started to crater uh, several months ago, he gave an interview where, or in a press conference where he said, you know, that the sense that he had been too, too much involved in legislation. He said, I know the public doesn't expect me to be the 101st senator. And I think there is still something of that in him, that he does not think like a president. And I believe it's very much related not only to his longevity in Washington and other jobs, but to the unfitness of mind, that he's simply not all there. And so you get these kinds of earth-shaking statements that just right. have to be fixed because they are they are off balance and they are sort of they break the mold that could lead to real international conflict. Well, as you know, so I had Michael Waltz on after and then Newt Gingrich said, uh, I like what Joe Biden originally said. Who's these people walking things back? Richard Haas said the same thing on Morning Joe. Who are these people walking it back? We have to send these guys a message. But what Michael Waltz added, which I think really tells the story, is we're not putting the defense spending in to show people that we're really committed to taking on China. They're out, they're out uh, they're building more ships for us on a rate of 5 to 1. Here's a 3% increase in spending. We've got 8.5% inflation. So he's actually cutting defense spending. Yes, I, and I agree with that, Brian, but I don't think the answer is a kind of almost a rogue president shooting from the lip. Yeah, they should all be uh, on the same page. Yeah, that's right. You've got to have a policy behind it. It can't just be a an interview comment. It's got to be a policy that's thought out, that's planned, and that is practical, and that the military knows it, the intelligence community knows it, Congress even has a sense of it. It can't just be a one-off, as so many of these things are with him. So I want to, I want to talk about two more things real quick. First off, Yesterday, Stacey Abrams said this. The audio is so bad, I'd play it for you, but it just it will confuse the audience. Uh, I'll just read it. She says, I'm tired of being told that we're the best state, meaning Georgia, in the country to do business, when we are the worst state in the country to live. Really? We're the worst state in the country to live, and she wants to be the next mayor? Uh, and she goes on to put down Georgia. I mean, this is a woman has got 48% approval and 48% disapproval. She's about to take on Brian Kemp again. But that is amazing. I've never heard of a worse slogan, says Stephen Miller, in the history of politics. Well, but you know what, Brian? It's the Democratic way. 
Right? Doesn't Joe Biden talk down to Always. America all the time? I mean, that uh, Barack Obama did it too. People with their, you know, their their guns and their gods, and Hillary Clinton with deplorables and irredeemables. I mean, this is what the Democratic Party has become: a, a, a bunch of elitists who look down on the people they want to lead, and they they want to lead us to improve us. They want to make us better people, uh, and I think. I think that is a fundamental failing of the left these days, that, that they, as you say, she looks right. down, she criticizes the, gov- the state that she wants to lead. I mean, who would elect somebody who doesn't like you, who, who doesn't like your habits, who doesn't like your lifestyle, who looks, you know, and of course the undertow is all, you're all, you're all a bunch of racists. You, you know, you're, the, the, the country's no good. So every once in a while, Joe Biden will now say in a speech, uh, we're a good nation. Yeah, but then, but then the next breath, it's your, it's all systemic racism. So this is very caught up, I think, with the Democrats' idea that we are not a good people, we are not a good country. They are not proud to be American. They are only proud of their own power to try to change America. And I think that's why this party uh, is going to get spanked by voters in November. So uh, we're in week two of the Durham trial, and it could be the final week. Most experts says it is. Now, you might not care about Michael Sussman. You should be careful what it means. Michael Sussman going into the FBI, using his friendship with Jim Baker to say, I only represent myself as read by text messages. Uh, And then from there, it went downhill because it turns out he was representing the campaign and even billed the Hillary Clinton campaign. But it got worse. Here's a quick uh, recap from Cash Patel, who did a lot of this interrogating for the Trump team. Cut 34. John Durham has the interrogation transcripts from my deposition of Michael Sussman four years ago when I was running the Russiagate investigation, where I asked him under oath, "Are you? did you go to the FBI for a client? And he said yes. So <clears throat> it's not just a witness case, it's a paper case. And then you have Michael Sussman's own text message on the evening before he went to see James Baker, a text message from Sussman to Baker, where he himself explicitly says, I'm coming to you as a patriot, as a, uh, you know, good Samaritan. And let's move on to the testimony of uh, now Mark Elias, his law partner at Perkins Coie, who funneled all the all the money from the Hillary Clinton campaign to Fusion GPS and the Alpha Bank server nonsense. He comes in and guts Sussman's defense. And the biggest story was Robbie Mook, who came out and said Hillary Clinton knew it. Wall Street Journal wrote about it, and so did you write about it, that Hillary knew it, who was behind it, and pushed to have the press informed of a link that was basically a commercial link between Alpha Bank Russian and the Trump campaign. It looked like a marketing mass email. There was nothing there. What are your thoughts about what yeah, we know? It was basically spam, and the, and the FBI figured that out in 30 seconds, it seems. Uh, Brian, I think what, what for me is the most remarkable aspect of this trial so far is that when you look at the Steele dossier and this attempt to create a, a, a false storyline about Trump and Russia, they fit, they fit the same, nearly the exact same pattern. You concoct a lie, Steele dossier and Alpha Bank. You then go to the FBI and the media almost simultaneously, hoping that you will get stories and an investigation, but you'll settle for stories and maybe the talk of an investigation. That will be enough to damage Trump. And you know they are lies. 
That is the thing. You are told that these are not solid things. You know Christopher Steele through the Fusion GPS people you hired. They, they have to know that he concocted the dossier, that he didn't go to Russia. He didn't really speak to anybody in Russia. He actually spoke to this guy, Danchenko, and others. I mean, this gossip trail. And by the way, I should led- stop you. Danchenko sounds Russian, and he is, but he lives here. Yeah, and he had to and, call and, his friend from high school, and it was BSing around. He couldn't believe it was in the Steele report. That's right. And, and both of these things are the same, which is this was the pattern of the Clinton campaign. Make up a story, give it to the media, try to get the FBI to investigate. They certainly succeeded in getting the FBI to investigate the uh, Steele dossier and go to the FISA court to spy on the Trump campaign. That was wildly successful. But both of these things are in lieu of Hillary Clinton running a good campaign and being a good candidate. She was a lousy, lazy candidate, and so she turned to these tricks, these dirty tricks, instead to try to win the presidency. Thankfully, she failed, and now, hopefully, she and her crew will begin to pay the piper. So the thing is, every question on every, net, on every network except Fox was about Russia. No matter what was happening with the economy, <clears throat> what happened with tax cuts, what happened uh, with what was going on internationally, the Abraham Accords, everything would be around Russia. And when things started going good, there'd be another Russian-planted story and things about what's going on behind closed doors with the Mueller report, whether you're putting solitary conf- Paul Manafort in solitary confinement, ruining the life of Michael Flynn. This all happened, and now Trump's in and he's out, and you wonder what would life have been like had he just had a normal chance. Well, Brian, I'll tell you one thing that I think will never be fully understood, and that is when exactly did Robert Mueller and his merry team of anti-Trumpers, when did they conclude that there had been no collusion? Because it wasn't until early of 2019 that they released their report to the Justice Department. Imagine if they had released it in 2018, before the midterm elections. The entire second half of the Trump administration would have been different. I believe that the Russia, Russia, Russia hoax, which the media perpetrated as well as the Democrats, is why the Democrats won the House of Representatives in 2018. Oh, good point. I, that's and, an excellent point. And the point. whole nature, the impeachment, all of that stuff would not have happened. Uh, but it, And look, to this day, Nancy Pelosi still calls Donald Trump a Russian agent. So they just disregard the truth. They just disregard the facts. Uh, because it doesn't fit their narrative so they can gain power. I mean, it's, gotcha. a, it, it's an incredibly unscrupulous and damaging pattern that we have seen. Fox News contributor, New York Post columnist Michael Goodwin. That was really the focus of his column on Sunday. Uh, it's going to be an interesting week because I think it's going to be beginning. Cash Patel thinks that Lisa Page and Peter Strzok are coming. Uh, so whether Sussman is convicted or not because it's such a friendly jury to the the defense, right. I'm not sure. But the thing is, he's already exposed a lot. I mean, you know, this is the way they're doing it, putting piece by piece together. Uh, hopefully it won't give Washington an ability if he does get acquitted, which he shouldn't be. He's caught. He's caught red-handed. So, but if he does get acquitted, they'll say, listen, I told you he was innocent the whole time. Durham's got nothing. We know the truth. Michael, thank you. My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. You got it. Your call's next, one 408 7669 Then Kellyanne Conway comes into studio. Brian, kill me. 
the fastest growing talk show in America. You're with Brian Kilmeade. If you're interested in it, Brian's talking about it. You're with Brian Kilmeade. I think the trial ends around Tuesday, and then he marches on to Danchenko, and I firmly believe he's got a few more indictments coming this summer. That's John Durham. And I remind the audience, remember, Hillary Clinton already admitted to violating the FEC for spending those millions of dollars um, uh, on opposition research instead of politics. And yes, our investigation in Russiagate showed she spent north of $50 million to $100 million pumping money into Perkins Coie so they could have a cutout, just like the FBI had a cutout with Bruce Orr and Christopher Steele, so they could basically get a warrant and then leak to the media to have circular uh, logic approve their fraudulent investigation. So tons of money, wow. and I think the FEC has more work to do as well. Yeah, I hope so. I hope they are working to get to the bottom of because they certainly were relentless in the Russia investigation and the person's personal finances. Remember, that kind of all petered out. They're going to go after him. Michael Cohen's going to flip. They're going to tell the story how Trump isn't really a billionaire and isn't, doesn't really have these properties and lied about how much he earned to buy other buildings and, and lived off his fame. And it turns out you just got one attorney general in New York going after him personally. Uh, and wanting to get him to testify uh, under oath about some type of civil suit, which is pure political politics, because uh, this woman is trying to get famous as attorney general by going after a former president who's high profile and no one buys it. That's done. But what happened is, even though it's 2016, we're finding out more. I will say this. The one guy I think is upset and I'd have no idea about this, but I'll, I'll, there's some people I know that know President Obama. Well, I think on some level, President Obama has to be really ticked off even named Joe Biden. Number one, he was informed that Joe Biden was doing, Hillary Clinton was doing, the, and by the way, Hillary Clinton too. He was informed that Hillary Clinton was working behind the scenes uh, to circumvent Donald Trump with this dubious, uh, this uh, dastardly plan. And then you have Joe Biden flying around doing deals with Hunter Biden. And this is basically factual. And then what he was doing with the Ukraine when he asked him to have the Ukrainian portfolio and Hunter Biden getting that job. At one point, you know, Obama's like, why, why doesn't anyone do what they're supposed to do? Isn't anyone in the up and up? That's maybe my naive perception. Maybe I'm wrong. Radio that makes you think. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. Let's talk about the three star witnesses, Robbie Mook, Mark Elias, and the FBI's James Baker. So what did we do? What did we learn? So James Baker, the FBI general counsel, whom Michael Sussman has been charged to, to lying to about whether or not he was representing anyone when he was shoveling the dirt, testified under oath that he is, well, quote, 100% confident that Michael Sussman did not say he was there for a client, thus gutting his defense. Critical testimony from the uh, witness himself. So Cash Patel, uh, somebody who knows about this whole with Durham's investigating and, and the leads that he should be following. And it looks like Durham is doing everything seemingly right, even though he's in it with a very uh, jury that seems very compromised and a judge that seems to have a horse in this race. For some reason, John Durham said, I'm going to go ahead with this and we're going to have this trial with Michael Sussman, who seems as guilty as the day is long. That is just part of what Kellyanne 
uh, Conway has experienced when she had her four years and, of course, the years leading uh, the Trump team to the 2016 win and through 2020 as an advisor. Her book is now out. It's called Here's the Deal. The special was last night. Out tomorrow, right? Out tomorrow. Tomorrow. We can order it today. Please yes. do. Kill me, listeners. Uh, that, and we have a lot. Uh, <laughs> Kellyanne, great special last night. Our special was fantastic. Amazing. Very You humbling. did host your own special, which it was is weird. That's never been done before, <laughs> I don't think, in the history. But uh, but you always do things that make history. Here's the deal is the name. First off, on what Cash Patel said, yes. when you were, I asked a lot of people who were in and out, like, well, part of the campaign and were on the outside and then inside. So I'd watch these revelations come in. It's like Donald Trump did this. Donald Trump did that. Yes. And I go, is this is, what's going on here? Like, did you notice where were there calls going in? Were there sub? I don't know what you're talking about. Nobody was saying that's absolutely not true. But they'd say, I never saw any of this. Yes. When some of this stuff was coming in, uh, starting really what October, September, October. Right. Would, did you ever say to yourself, guys, who is this? Nope. I'll tell you why. We were so busy. We were understaffed, under-resourced, underestimated, underdog campaign. And the strategy was very clear. I was transparent about it every day. There's Donald Trump going to seven or eight states. Governor Pence doing the same. Speaking in front of the cameras directly to the people. And then I was on seven or eight TV shows a day on average, Brian, going through the strategy. We're going to go to Michigan, Wisconsin. We think our message will play in Pennsylvania. We're going to be a little bit less in New Mexico and Nevada. Here's why. And if I were talking to Moscow you wouldn't have seen me. I was talking to people in Macomb County, Michigan, and Mecklenburg County, North Carolina, not a bunch of Russians. The reason that this took hold is because the Hillary campaign that did have all the king's horses, all the king's men, all their money and momentum and all the media behind them, they didn't have a good candidate. They had a flawed candidate, and they, in case of emergency, you break the glass, you pull the ripcord, and you come up with another strategy. Their strategy was to pretend that we were being aided and abetted by Russia to win the election. And they didn't leave it on election night. They actually accelerated these rumors and these claims and pretending there was evidence after the election. The 35-page Steele dossier was being discussed in the Oval Office on January 5th, 2017, two short weeks before President Trump is going to be sworn in. We're being told, I'm at lunch with Valerie Jarrett downstairs in the Navy mess, we're being told we want a smooth transition, democracy needs it, we're a sturdy country, et cetera. And the fix was in. They came to Trump Tower the very next day, Clapper, Comey, Brennan, the national security team, to brief the president on very scary situations around the world. And as they were leaving, I write in my book, Here's the Deal, on sale today, Brian, that Comey takes Trump aside, basically just standing up. And it was as an aside and says, well, we're looking into this. We don't know too much. Seth Meyers asks me about it on TV a couple of days later. And and then Donald Trump has that press conference. On that in the comedy atrium, show. On that, right. And that, well, where people used to be funny. Um, I like comedians who are funny. But anyway, Donald Trump, the day after that, he has a big press conference in the atrium of Trump Hall. You'll remember this on January 11th. And he's being asked questions about this. And he's curiously looking around. The the Hunter Biden laptop contents are more verifiable than the Steele dossier. And which one was pushed and pushed yeah. and pushed for years with no verification and no veracity? You see that now because people are in courtrooms under oath on the record. So they're being honest now, as opposed to the Steele dossier, which could never be verified. Brian, do you think in the summer of 2016, if the media could have run with the Steele dossier and talked about Russia collusion with any kind of authority they wouldn't have, they wanted to stop Donald Trump, but they couldn't do it. So BuzzFeed did it after Trump was elected. Then CNN went ahead and ran a story referring to the BuzzFeed piece. 
and they won awards over this. And the New York Times people won Pulitzers over this. But Give them back and let's pay attention to the Sussman trial because now actual heads are going to roll, I believe. Okay, a couple of things. I watched it in other channels too because I was astounded because, you know, I've been here a while and you've been on their channel a while. I've never seen such a division between two worlds where there would be real issues going on, the economy growing, the deficit growing, whatever it was, good or bad. Go to bed. Uh, you know, what the president's policy was with NATO. You know, there's stuff to talk about. So I'd be preparing for a show, and we'd be talking about, okay, the president wants to pull out of NATO. Maybe his chief of staff disagrees with that. That's kind of interesting, yes, right? Yes, of course. But you turn on the other channel. You come on. We talk Russia, about Russia, that. Russia, Russia. It was nonstop. And about this, and so you'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. And after a while, I almost understand why some of the guys and some of the women were like, why do I want to do this interview? They're just going to keep bringing everything about Russia, and behind the scenes, you're getting things uh, going. They would and, also do it in the, the Oval pre- Office, and, and the and the press room was a joke. The president would—that's right. The president would invite the press into the Oval Office. Something Joe Biden does not do. They now have said because he needs a teleprompter, Brian. They have to recreate a phony Oval Office. Is that unbelievable? Isn't it? It's uh, just so people know that this is these are the facts. And President Trump would. Sua sponte, spontaneously invite the press into the Oval Office to talk about whatever guest was there, whatever policy prescription was going to go for it, whatever was happening legislatively on Capitol Hill. And they would ask him every question would be about Russia. And you know what? We should have known then what's happening now, which is this, Brian, that this White House wants you to believe what they say, not what you see. And the same thing was happening with Russia collusion. Instead of focusing on what you see and what you want to be true uh, of this policy or, or that they're telling you, believe what we say. And I think it's all coming back to hurt them. Hillary Clinton is damaged goods. This ridiculous notion she could ever run for president again, be a three-time loser. Right. Have at it, lady. I'm ready for you. I'm here. And that – but it also tells you how weak their bench is. But don't forget that the media didn't just want Donald Trump to win in 2016. They were shocked that he did. And I think the shock and embarrassment of Donald Trump winning in 2016, which is uh, talked an awful lot about in new ways, never never before told stories in my book, Here's the Deal, Brian, that bothered them more to be embarrassed and shocked by Donald Trump's election than even him being president. Go down further. Silicon Valley. Because you use Facebook and use Twitter in order to win and get your message out and circumvent. And they they were determined. You know who told me that? Neil Ferguson in 2017 – uh, I can't remember if it was on camera or we're waiting in the break. And he said, you cannot overstate how embarrassed and angry Silicon yes. Valley is that they ignored Facebook and Twitter. You guys didn't. You used it, circumvented, uh, and used social media. And they feel responsible for Trump winning, and they're going to get back at him. And they did. So two people to know there, Jeff Zucker at CNN and Mark Zuckerberg at Facebook. Let me focus on both of them. They were both, as you correctly point out, reviled and insulted and just put upon by their colleagues. I went to up to Harvard Institute of Politics on December 1st. They have the tradition of inviting both campaigns as yeah. senior people and devolved into Jennifer Palmieri, who apparently also knew uh, about this uh, Sussman stuff, according to Robbie Mook and others. But anyway, um, Zucker the night before at the dinner was being excoriated yeah. by his colleagues saying that Trump is your fault. 
You kept the empty podium waiting for Donald Trump in the right-hand corner. You covered every single word he said. Then we caught him on audio giving him coaching. Correct. Before debates. And so people were mad at him. And what did he do? All of a sudden, CNN had to become the anti-Trump network. Not even – their job is to get this story – but their mission was to get the president. Absolutely. And it's all evidence here. Mark Zuckerberg. In the 2016 campaign, Brian, people say, what did Zuckerberg do? The answer is nothing, meaning he let us run ads on Facebook. We paid our money. We ran our ads. Same thing on Google, YouTube. We used Twitter. President Trump, Mr. Trump used Twitter well. And so the net net effect of that is we were under-resourced. So we could not do all TV ads. Hillary had unlimited resources. But we knew this is where people were getting information now. It's very natural for you to receive your information digitally. So we invested in that 50% digital ads, 50% television ads, and it paid off for us. But Zuckerberg came under fire. How dare you? Why didn't you just not take their money? Why did you help elect Donald Trump? So what happened in 2020? Dave Bossie's new movie, Rigged, is brilliant because it goes through all of the states and the precincts where Zuckerberg and his wife, Priscilla Chan, through two nonprofits, CLTC is the acronym for one, called you know Civic Life and Technology Council or something or other. They're trying high-mindedly to make sure that we can all vote safely because of COVID. That sounds like a nice goal, but riddle me this. Why did 92% of the money that was spent go to Joe Biden uh, one precincts. You don't want the rest of us to be safe. So yeah. I think that's President Trump and I were discussing that book and he, the documentary, and he said, "What do you think?" And I said, "I read that, and I'm surprised you won Mississippi." In other words, the fix was in in so many places ahead of time. It's fine to spend money to help people vote, but why are you picking and choosing the states? Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Pennsylvania—these places that ended up being razor thin margins—and mm-hmm. we know with COVID, COVID became COVID was a reason for us to vote differently. But now it's become an excuse for us to continue to vote that way. And that has to stop. A couple of things. The NRA got attacked and destroyed, and they they were a big help, weren't they? First time around, the NRA. That well, was yes, they were. They were a big number, help. Number Only two. because they're reaching out to their members and saying one person, Hillary Clinton, has an F on the Second Amendment, and Donald right. Trump has an A. And then just to, and to motivate, the NRA yes. was motivated to help you guys. Same thing with the pro-life groups. Same with the pro-life groups. So the other thing was, Brad Parscale had an absolute meltdown. He was clearly the wrong person to lead that organization, and he had an absolute meltdown. We ended up shirtless being arrested after allegedly striking his wife, and that is the representation of the guy in the final backstretch who's supposed to lead Trump to reelection. Yeah, I mean, that's a little bit of a problem. He alienated a lot of people, kept a very tight unit. There wasn't really a sense of team at all with the 2016. Well, 2016 and 2020 2020. were so different. I write about the tale of two campaigns, and I think 2016 was such a representation of Donald Trump. The swagger, the hunger, the connect directly with the people. Right, but he couldn't even do these rallies because of the pandemic for the longest time. Then he got it. At the end, then he said, screw it. I'm going to go do it anyway. Yeah, he did. And, he you did. know, he so he would move through and he had the rally at the end. But uh, having said that, you kind out. You you really have a, a, a problem with Kushner. Correct. So you really feel as though that he had his hands in everything, but was not in front of everything. Well, that's a it, fact. It, it's not my feeling. Uh, I think that that was uh, purposeful. And look, Jared Kushner is a very smart person. He's highly intelligent. And he came to the White House, I think, to do good for the country. But you can't overstuff your portfolio with all these different issues in your first job in Washington, D.C. ever. I think it's very charming and was conclusive that the president of the United States, Donald Trump, had never had Washington experience to speak of 
that is what mattered to the public, elevating him and electing him over Hillary Clinton. But it's not so charming when your senior staff does. Mm -hmm. And why don't you just go learn something? So I think the arrogance and the I know better – and the overstuffed portfolio, sometimes there are ca- there are Senate-confirmed cabinet members who are in charge of an issue that had that being taken away by the president's son-in-law. So it ended up being very chaotic and confusing. There are people on Capitol Hill who have to take his call, who can't say no, even if they thought, well, this is not the way we were going to write the bill or this is not what the president ran on. So look, my main problem— Was the president informed of how much Jared Kushner was doing? Uh, sometimes. But you know, my main problem with Jared is very simple, and it, and it uh, boiled over. I write about it in my book. It boiled over in this, oh, in this meeting in Jared's office in the summer of 2019. And I walked in. It was he called the meeting. It was Jared, Brad Parscale, Ronna McDaniel, the head of the RNC, still is, and Mick Mulvaney, then chief of staff. And it boiled over where Jared said, "Oh, I had no idea how much you hated me, Kelly." And I said, "Jared, I don't hate you. Don't flatter yourself. I don't understand you. We're three plus years into this. The president wants us to work together, and all you do is try to get get in my way. You roll your eyes. You roll me. The president says work together on this. The two of you." And you give him a very flippant shore, and then you tell people I'm a leaker. Of course, he had people on the government payroll who were leaking left and right. Um, And by the way, there's a whole chapter in here called How to Spot a Leaker. Folks, you want to pick up this book, How to Spot a Leaker. I was accused of being a leaker, and I exposed those who were leaking. That Brian, they're always the people who don't go on TV and say, oh, you're so amazing, Kellyanne. How do you handle the press like that? And they're in the back talking to the press all day long. I'm on TV for the whole world to see. And they did, literally. You think I'm going to go inside and and be on the phone the whole time? Bannon with his three Blackberries and three shirts and three pens and Jared with a whole- How did Bannon get back in the inner circle? Uh, well, he's well, he's got a podcast and or something, and and I've been on it. I plan on going it this week. Um, but he's also somebody who's you know very much pushing uh, between November sixth and what I call January sixth, those two months of election fraud. Um, but anyway, that aside, my problem with Kushner is that the president of the United States who got elected and the rest of us did not wants us to work together, wants me to work on the opioid crisis, on veterans, on the, the trade, on trade yeah. meetings, be in, the, be in the Tax Cut and Jobs Act, be in the Coronavirus Task Force meetings where I was. Stop getting in my way. And I know a couple things. And look, I had a United States senator tell me early on, listen, I'm all about family. I don't know what's going on with Kushner, but he was very flippant about you in a meeting. Why does he have to say my name? It's bad enough I'm not there, but why do you have to say my name? Telling telling network executives don't have her on anymore. Telling a network executive who interviewed for a communications director. My name wasn't even part of the conversation. And out of nowhere, he said, by the way, Kellyanne won't be very powerful or important here. She's not going to be on Marine One, Air Force One, two days later on Marine One and Air Force One, going with the president to – like why even do it? And I think the palace intrigue started with things like that. It was petty and it was immature and and it hurt. The name of the book is Here's the Deal. Well, a few more minutes with Kellyanne right after this. It is out tomorrow, but pre-order it today. Don't move. Expanding your knowledge base. It's the Brian Kilmeade Show. Breaking news. Unique opinions. Hear it all on the Brian Kilmeade Show. Hey, welcome back, everyone. A few more minutes with Kellyanne Conway. Her book is now uh, is going to be out tomorrow. Here's the deal. Uh, and by the way, her special last night is now on uh, Fox Nation, uh, which is based on the book in your life, as well as your time with Trump. So after the election, uh, Trump loses. January 6th happens. They impeach him again. Doesn't go all the way through. You have had a chance to talk to the president. Do you get the sense, Kellyanne, that he's going to run again? He certainly would like to. And part of that motivation 
is twofold. Number one, he feels there's tremendous unfinished business that he was planning to do in the second term. And number two, he sees the disaster that is the Biden-Harris administration, worse man-made disaster, worse than anybody could have anticipated. Because look, Brian, if there's any rationale for putting into the presidency a guy who has been in Washington for 50 years, Joe Biden, it would be that he has relationships across the aisle. He can help unify. He can get a lot of Republican votes. The most bipartisan thing those people have done is impeach Donald Trump. Right. It's when they went when they look for the most Republican votes. Well, and number the infrastructure two, deal, but. Well, <laughs> and we're paying for it. And number two. Um, to have good relations around the world. We don't. We're, we're less secure now. Putin invaded Ukraine. We're a laughing stock around the world. I mean, Biden and Harris just need to stay here. Stop going abroad and embarrassing us there. You can yell at Americans from here. But I speak to the president frequently. I think I'm a, one of a handful of people in this country who speaks regularly to Mike Pence and Donald Trump. And you saw Mike Pompeo, Chris Christie, others in that special last night about me. So I try to maintain good relationships with the leaders of our party. However, April 7th, 2021, I have dinner, just me and Donald Trump and Melania Trump on the patio at Mar-a-Lago. Of course, it didn't leak because I don't like to leak things like that. And it's a two and a half pages, chapter 39 in my book. And President Trump says, um, honey, I, you weren't much of a Jared person, huh? And I said, oh, Mr. President, I don't want to talk about that now. But why would you give him so much power? He says, I didn't. He has a good relationship with my daughter. And I said, he gets to pick and choose his legacy. You don't. I think President Trump wants to go back, get energy independence, get inflation in check, get immigration and border security in check. So he's got a whole to-do list. And if he feels he's the right person for that moment, he absolutely will run. If not, whoever runs will have to have the America First agenda and those 74 million Trump voters in their corner. Download Here's the Deal. Uh, That's what I do, or buy it in person. Kellyanne, thank you. Thank you, Brian. Live from the Fox News Radio Studios in New York City, fresh off the set of Fox & Friends, it's America's receptive voice, Brian Kilmeade. Hi, everyone. Brian Kilmeade. Welcome to the latest moments of the Brian Kilmeade Show. So glad you're here. Hope you had a fantastic weekend, and uh, you're in an area of the country I think it was most of the country that had the sun out. Uh, Gary Seeds will be with us in 15 minutes. And then Brett Baer at the bottom of the hour. And, uh, you know, Brett Baer, by the way, look at him. with Sean Penn the other day um, uh, flying around doing Fox News Sunday. So he's been as busy as ever. And, of course, when he has any free time, he's either with his family or playing golf. one 408 7669 Let's get to the big three. Now with the stories you need to know, it's Brian's Big Three. Sponsored by LifeVac. Save a life in a choking emergency. Visit LifeVac.net to learn more and use code BK10 to save 10%. Number three. James Baker, the FBI general counsel whom Michael Sussman has been charged to, to lying to about whether or not he was representing anyone when he was shoveling the dirt, testified under oath that he is, well, quote, 100% confident that Michael Sussman did not say he was there for a client, thus gutting his defense. Uh, unbelievable. Cash Patel knows it all. Talked to Maria yesterday. Eyes on D.C. as the dorm trial enters week two. We review the devastating news to the Hillary Clinton camp for anyone paying attention. Everything we already kind of knew because we're Fox. Everything about the false information sent to the FBI and press regarding Trump and Russia. Number two. You were quoted as saying corporate greed is a bad theory of inflation. Is that another way of saying that what Democrats are talking about is just a gimmick? I think it's pretty gimmicky. Um, these price gouging bills because, you know, you've got a lot of extra demand. What happens when demand goes up? Prices go up. 
Primaries and policies. Big Tuesday for five states. We'll preview and review what we learned. One thing overall uh, that the party should agree on, that inflation is the focus. Number one. You didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? That's a commitment we made. Really? Here we go again with the walkbacks at home, courtesy of President Joe Biden on the road. Superpowers involved, as usual. If not Russia, it's now China. The latest uh, fly, uh, latest friction, Taiwan. We will flash back to the ongoing reality show entitled Joe Unscripted. And uh, in case you don't know, this is what happened about six, seven hours ago. Uh, the president was asked this in, in, in Tokyo. Cut one. You didn't want to get involved in the Ukraine conflict militarily for obvious reasons. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are. That's a commitment we made. So Joe got immediately walked back in a ridiculous walk back by his own administration. But this doesn't seem to be a mistake. A year ago, he was asked the same thing by Anderson Cooper. Cut two. So are you saying that, that the United States would come to Taiwan's defense if yes, China attacked? Yes, we have a commitment to do that. Excuse me? So in a year, you didn't get told by other so-called experts not to say that because it would hurt relations with China? I don't know. I, I don't actually mind the statement. I know it's problematic in a way, but we know one thing with the thugs of the world to show equanimity – to show a level-headedness sometimes works against us. So again, in 2021, Jen Psaki had to walk that back. But that isn't it. I mean, there's so many times a president had to say things and then walk them back. Before I go to other times in which he says things, you have to walk them back. Some of the analysis about what's happening here, Richard Haas on the President's Council on Foreign Relations, on Joe Biden's comments, they will walk back a half hour after he said them, cut seven. It's the third time the president said it. It's the third time the White House staff has walked it back, and the White House staff should stand down. This is the right thing to do. Unlike in Europe, our allies and partners in Asia not only want us to do this, Joe, to get directly involved on behalf of Taiwan, they expect it. And if the United States does not get directly involved on behalf of Taiwan, Taiwan cannot do a Ukraine. Taiwan's an island. You can't get resupply in there. It has no ability for serious self-defense. So we either get directly involved in Taiwan, which will bring Japan and others in, or China will own Taiwan uh, all too easily. So this is the right thing to do, and at stake is the alliance system that for three quarters of a century has made Asia the single most successful part of the world. So I think the president is exactly right. And as he pointed out, you can move to strategic clarity to say we're going to do this without in any way undermining the so-called one China policy and the framework of U.S. Chinese relations that, again, has worked for over four decades. Well, that's pretty interesting because uh, and Richard Haas makes a lot of sense as usual. But here's the thing. So you have an administration do that three times. What does that tell you about the administration? What does that tell you? I mean, you can't, you cannot, at NBC and CBS and CNN, you can't give them a pass on this. This is about the relationship with the most important partner. And we're all over the place on it. In that area, we have India is going to be with us. Japan is going to be with us. South Korea is going to be with us. Australia will be with us. I think Vietnam is with us. I think Indonesia is with us. Take a march through the area. They don't like the thuggish way that China acts. They don't like the bullying that goes on. The Belt and Road Program is a cover for extortion. 
Michael Waltz heard these comments this morning, was on Fox and Friends first. Cut 10. I welcome the president's uh, strong language uh, right on China's doorstep as he's meeting with the new Japanese prime minister. I was then going to say, but I hope the White House doesn't come around and try to clean it up. It sounds like they already are. Uh, And that kind of ambiguity isn't helpful. Uh, We need to make it very clear to China uh, that invading Taiwan, which will then allow China to control about 50 percent of global trade and GDP, uh, isn't acceptable. uh, And we need to move away from that policy of strategic ambiguity that we've had for years and make it very clear, because, Griff, deterrence failed. Let's be clear. Deterrence failed in Ukraine. We did not deter Putin. Uh, from invading his neighbor and leveling whole cities. Yes, we're having a tough response, but it's it's a day late and a dollar short. We can't wait until Taipei, the capital of Taiwan, is leveled, uh, much like Mariupol uh, is now, to then have a tough response. So we need that tough talk up front. Yeah, all right. So that's what's happening. That's unfolding with Tokyo. You know what else is happening today? Candidates are scrambling in, in five separate states. We know that there's been more intrigue involved with these primaries in the Donald Trump era than ever I can remember. We know J.D. Vance walked away with the Ohio victory. It was not easy. Uh, but that was all about Trump's endorsement. In Pennsylvania, I think Oz is going to lock it up. He's got about 1,000 votes up. But here's the thing. Uh, as much as I, I really like Dave McCormick, and I think he's a great candidate, and he should run for a Casey seat in two years— uh, he's now asking for absentee ballots to count with no date on them. That's what Democrats do. And you don't want to have precedent there in the primaries. So when they try to do this, these mysterious absentee ballots that come in, they may or may not be valid. But if there's no date on them, you can't count them. So we're counting absentee ballots that come in after, the, with, uh, after a postmark date, or there is no postmark date. You can't count them. And I know everybody wants to win, but please do it on the up and up. And this is a... Team battle. This is an intramural battle. So Dave McCormick should realize how much better he got just campaigning in six months, how much better he'll get in two years, and try to get both seats if Dr. Oz can beat Fetterman, who's a very liberal guy coming off a stroke. So Alabama from 7 to 7 tomorrow. Arkansas uh, will be intriguing. Alabama uh, is going to uh, be very interesting to see who gets that Senate seat with Richard Shelby now gone. And now it looks like Mo Brooks is rallying despite the fact that Donald Trump pulled his support from him. In Arkansas, uh, Sarah Sanders will get that nom- nomination, we think. And George is going to be really intriguing, but Kemp's up 30 points on Senator Purdue, which I, you know, I, does not surprise me. Uh, Brad Raffensperger and Jody Heinz. Jody Heinz has been supported by President Trump. Raffensperger is a big enemy of Donald Trump. Uh, he says, I voted for Trump, but I, I don't think he was cheated out of Georgia. Trump feels the exact opposite. Uh, Trump's been good on pandemic. He kept the state open on women's sports. He passed a law to protect women's sports against transgenders, uh, getting Internet to rural areas. And he actually did election reform. There's no reason why Brian Kemp should be primaried and Purdue should have known that in Texas. I'm going to keep my eye on Henry Cuellar. I want for the country, even though it's bad for the Republican Party if he wins, because he'll probably win the general. But this liberal that's going against him is a, it's a rematch. Cisneros is supported by the left wing of the party, the the Barry, uh, the Bernie Barry Sanders, the Bernie Sanders of the party, and George P. Bush is surging as attorney Jed to take on uh, fellow Republican Attorney General, sitting Attorney General Ken Paxton, who is mired in scandal. 
President Trump endorsed him because he wouldn't suit everybody uh, on behalf of Donald Trump. But George P. Bush would do a much better job, hardworking guy, successful land commissioner. I know some people are upset about him with the Alamo, but he worked that out, got that straight. So I think you, when you're in your 30s, you get your first job. Maybe he didn't read the room correctly. Got it. The other big story is uh, with Stacey Abrams. She made a major gaffe yesterday saying uh, Georgia is not a good place to live. Nice slogan. When we come back, Garrison East, synonymous with Memorial Day because he gives to the troops uh, like nobody else with his band and the money he's raised, the entertainment he provides is uh, without par. He'll be joining us live next. This is The Brian Kilmeade Show. Diving deep into today's top stories, it's Brian Kilmeade. The fastest three hours in radio. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Hey, we're back just finishing up this uh, hour here. Special uh, guest right now is uh, is Gary Sinise. Uh, You know what he does on the big screen, and you probably finally realize how much he does uh, for the men who women who serve. Uh, his National Memorial Concert, Memorial Day concert is uh, coming up. He's co-hosting. Uh, he's co-hosting that again. And we know his lieutenant, uh, Dan, uh, Lieutenant Dan Band, has been off like all of us through the pandemic, but now they're back in action. And his book is a bestseller, Grateful American, A Journey from Self to Service, which just all about how he's gotten really involved with this. Gary, Memorial Day means a, 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 something very special to you. Can you explain to our audience? Hey, hey, Brian, thanks for, thanks for having me. Uh, yeah, you know, the National Memorial Day concert is something I, I, I actually wasn't aware about it uh, when I got a call from my buddy Joe Montaigne back in 2005, and he said he had started doing the, the show a couple years before and that they were going to be doing a uh, segment on the USO, and he knew I was out there running around with my band and and uh, visiting troops with the USO and whatnot, so they invited me to come and do the USO segment for the National Memorial Day concert in 2005. I brought my band there. Uh, we had just finished a USO tour overseas, and we went straight to D.C., brought my band. All of a sudden, we're up on stage in front of the Capitol, you got a hundred to two hundred thousand people sitting on the lawn, PBS uh, broadcasting, and it was magnificent. It was uh, they. I, I played a couple of songs, and they had me narrate some content, tell some stories, and then they asked me to come back the following year and co-host with Joe. And I've been doing it ever since. Uh, Memorial Day used to be, you know, when I was a kid, and you know, it went right over my head. Even though I have many veterans in my family. It was a, a ball game or a barbecue or, you know, a parade or something like that. I never, never really thought about it too much until, you know, a, a little bit later. And as I started supporting veterans and, uh, you know, really going out there actively, being invited to be co-host of the National Memorial Day concert just fit right in. And it was a beautiful way to remind the nation of the sacrifices that so many have made. Uh, to keep us free and safe all these years. I know the uh, the Garrison's Foundation has changed venues now. Now you moved over uh, to Nashville. And uh, we, thankfully, we're not in a full-scale war anymore. Afghanistan, the embarrassing pullout that I think did psychological damage to a lot of our guys and women that served there, and then Iraq. What are things like now that we're not in a hot war? Well, you know, uh, obviously... Um, 
anyone who served in Afghanistan, uh, you know, we have found many, many of them are struggling with what that was all about and, and you know, why that happened. Uh, and we're trying to provide, you know, services for anyone who needs uh, additional assistance. We have uh, mental wellness programs and everything at the Gary Sinise Foundation. We try to support as best we can and just get the message out that, you know, no matter what happened there, uh, your service mattered, and it meant something to uh, our country and our fellow citizens, and you should not uh, take that for granted. It's something that, that I try, a message that I try to spread all over the place when I play these concerts. I'm actually going, I'm scheduled to go to Fort Eustis on Thursday and play a concert for the troops there, and I'm sure we'll have many veterans of Afghanistan and Iraq who will be in attendance, and I will remind them how important their service is to our country and how grateful we are. That's why my book is called Grateful American, Brian. You know, I I am a grateful American. I'm, I'm I feel blessed uh, to live in a country that has people like the men and women who serve in our armed forces who are willing to go out there. And, and serve and defend. And Memorial Day is a, a way for us to pay tribute to the fallen and the families who have endured these these long deployments and these terrible things that have happened because of war. And we can never forget them. We can, I always say we can never do enough, but we can always do a little more. You know, it's interesting, too, is because it was a time, uh, Gary, through Vietnam, through the 70s, it was a draft. So you really felt helpless. Wow, you know, I got called... But a lot of these uh, men and women volunteered for the job, so they knew the risk going in. And we put together maybe pound for pound the finding uh, the finest fighting force of of uh, in American history. And do you give the, do you get the idea that they have the sense of how good they are? Oh, you know what's what's great about what I've been able to do uh, for so many years now. Uh, I I've just been invited into the military community. The more I started to do things to support them, the more I got to actually experience in the in, you know training in the war zones or flying on uh, you know fighter jets or landing on carriers or you know uh, you name it. I mean, being on submarines. I mean. I, I've just uh, had the opportunity to experience the military in a way that most of our citizens will never get the opportunity to do. And so that makes me a better advocate. I, I, I'm able to go out there and actually talk about, you know, the extraordinary uh, degree and skill that uh, our, our, you know, our men and women serve with. And that that's that's a way that I can serve. I can, you know, I, I know that not everybody can go do that. I know that not everybody can start a foundation and raise a lot of money. But, you know, if we can educate people and just tell them, you know, not only that, you know, it's important to support the service members, but actually try to tell them why it's important. And, you know, you think that everybody would know that, but if you don't have a personal connection to somebody who's serving in the military, a friend or a family member or something like that, and there are millions of people that don't, uh, you might not really understand what the military does. So somebody like me and the public yeah. eye can go out there and do actually, it. actually tell people. The 2022 National Memorial Day concert will be broadcast on PBS Nationwide. It'll be Sunday, May 29th uh, uh, this year, of course, this weekend, uh, at 8 p.m., 
Uh, so make sure everybody watches. And if you want to do something that you know the money is going to go to the right place, support uh, the Gary Sinise Foundation. Gary, thanks so much for joining me. And you can follow him at Gary Sinise. Go get him, Gary. Hey, thanks. Thanks so much, Brian. All right. Talk to you soon. one 408 7669 Brett Baer joins us when we come back. Previews uh, five primaries that are coming up in 24 hours. A lot on the line for the former president and others. Don't move. The talk show that's getting you talking. You're with Brian Kilmeade. Stacey Abrams, Raphael Warnock here in Georgia. Need those numbers to improve in order to get the Biden coalition to turn out again. Same story goes in places like Pennsylvania, Arizona, Nevada, all across the country. So the White House has to be looking at these numbers today with great concern. It's part of the reason why you've seen the White House in recent days really step up its attempts to demonstrate that it's on top of the baby formula shortage. You have those flights arriving today with the first stock files from Europe. Because they understand unless they're demonstrating action, those numbers are only going to get worse. And he's talking about the numbers of Latinos and everything like that that's coming across as well as his approval rating, which is between 36 uh, and 40 percent. With me right now is Brett Baer, uh, knows all that and knows the action. The president's over in Tokyo. Here, the number one story in every poll, Brett, is inflation. And I'm not sure vilifying business is what the public was hoping for. Yeah, Brian, I think... Um the poll numbers suggest that the inflation issue is the biggest threat to not only the Biden administration, but Democrats in general heading into the midterms. And, um, you know, adding to that, you just, it's a complexity with the baby formula situation. It kind of exacerbates what's already the underlying inflation problem and supply chain problem. And so, yes, it's, it's a tough issue for this administration uh, for the next four and a half months. But the thing is, with the baby formula, you can't say, what am I, a mind reader? Because you know when the whistleblower ha- well, let make, lets everyone know some legitimate concerns about that Sturgis lab, there was nothing done. I mean, I'm not saying the president's got to know, wait, baby formula, only four companies make it. But where's your comrade? Where's your agriculture secretary? Where's the health and human services? Well, why are they acting now? You can't act like they've been in front of this. No, you can't. And this is... The M.O. for this administration is is first say it's not an issue, then say, well, we knew it's been an issue for a long time and we are way ahead of it, and then deal with the crisis way late and someone else is ahead of you on how to deal with it. And by that point, the political backlash is already there. I mean, it's happened in a number of different ways and a number of different issues with this administration going back to Afghanistan. So uh, let's look at some of the races individually. Dr. Oz got over about a th- over a thousand vote lead. Uh, he was their camp is a little shocked that Dave McCormick is looking to count absentee ballots without dates on them. They say that's something the Democrats always wanted to do. Uh, I know the Oz camp seems kind of upset by that. Do you think we're looking at a recount there? Well, hundred percent. I mean, it, even if um, you know they finish this canvassing, which should finish in the next couple of days. Um, you're still going to be within the vote of 0.5%, which is automatic statewide recount. Now, that's not a re-vote. That's a recount. So whoever's leading going in the past six times has been the winner coming out. 
um, but it does look like it's going to be a recount. On the uh, on the other side, uh, obviously, it's going to be a big win for Brian Kemp. Uh, there's going to be no there was just there was no strategy uh, evidently on the part of Purdue, and Herschel Walker is supposed to walk towards the nomination in the general. There's a sense what Doug Collins told me on Saturday night is like Herschel Walker is a great guy, great potential, really smart, but really inexperienced, and he's had no test, but no, and there's not been really a lot of uh, uh, public opposition research. What do you, how do you see this playing out? Because Warnock is good on his feet, but he's extremely liberal for that state. I think it's really going to be close. I think that uh, all of those things you said about Herschel Walker are true, uh, but he's also very good in person and can work a room. Um, you're right. He has not been fully blasted by an OPPO research team, which the Democrats will do. Uh, and so I think there's some worries in Republican circles about that. But on the flip side, you know, Biden is not polling well in Georgia and places like Georgia, Pennsylvania, um, there's a, a number of different states where those candidates will not want Joe Biden with him. And that will be evident and it will be a problem for Democratic campaigns. So Stacey Abrams, obviously one of the most talented on the Democrat side. I think if she becomes governor, she runs for president. Uh, A lot of people think that. But don't tell me that she's going to love the way this is resonating. She called Georgia the worst state to live in. Listen, cut 28. So uh, good luck with that as a slogan. They need to get a better sound system in there. But, yeah, um, I think that's not exactly the great uh, statement to put on a bumper sticker for your campaign. Uh, the state that I want to represent is the worst state to live in. It's not exactly uh, the shining city on a hill uh, from Ronald Reagan. But I think there are problems for Stacey Abrams in the uh, general. Uh, I don't think that. You know, she has not had a great track record as far as a candidate. Remember, she never said that she lost, but she lost. And um, I, I, I haven't seen the the track record other than fundraising and organizing. And there she has been very successful. Right. Uh, she has. Uh, and we'll see. I know. Yeah. She does want to bring that up that she didn't admit it elected because of what happened with uh, with President Trump. The last key election I want to bring you to. It looks like George P. Bush in some polls is closing in on Ken Paxton, who is definitely going to be dealing with some investigations, which mysteriously have been held off till after this primary. Where do you think? How do you think this plays out for the the land commissioner? Yeah, I think George P. Bush has played his cards pretty well. Um, you know, he's gotten obviously the Bush name, and in Trump world, that's not a a big positive. But he's actually the the Trumpiest of the Bushes and has uh, walked that line pretty well. And I think Paxton has some, some issues. So uh, that's a race to watch. I think um, George P. Bush could be making, you know, the next step in his, um, what could be a a political career that goes beyond land commissioner. Henry Cuellar, uh, the ultimate moderate who's strong on the border for a Democrat uh, is, has to fend off another, the same progressive challenge in this rematch. 
out of nowhere the FBI is investigating him, then says they're not investigating them. So what do you what message does that send if uh, the if the Bernie Sanders clone um, Cisneros wins? Well, I think that the squad is alive and well. And for all the Democrats who say, you know, it's a small percentage of our caucus, uh, it's becoming bigger. And there are a number of different races where those candidates are winning. Some are Lee in Pennsylvania, um, others. So you're going to see some acolytes of the AOCs um, and the Rashida Tlaibs uh, that may be successful. I'm not sure Southern Texas is one of them. We'll see. But um, Cuellar has been obviously somebody who stood up to his party uh, pretty bravely. James Clyburn endorsed Cuellar. I think that's significant. Uh, number two is it looks like Republicans would have a better chance against Cisneros than Cuellar. So would you know you lose Cuellar? I think it's an asset for you lose an asset for the country. But for Republicans, they might see this as an opportunity. Well, 100 percent. I mean, a candidate uh, plays there better. It's tough to see the progressive really taking off in that area. But, you know, Texas has changed a little bit. I'm not sure South Texas has changed that much. So yesterday, uh, last week, I think the big story of the Durham trial was a lot more interesting than I ever thought, even though I've always been interested in it. Robbie Moo coming out saying that the pre- that uh, Hillary Clinton uh, knew about the leaking to the press, knew about the going to the FBI. Here's Cash Patel about what the takeaway was uh, in week one, cut 33. Let's talk about the three star witnesses, Robbie Mook, Mark Elias, and the FBI's James Baker. So what did we do? What did we learn? So James Baker, the FBI general counsel, whom Michael Sussman has been charged to to lying to about whether or not he was representing anyone when he was shoveling the dirt, testified under oath that he is, quote, 100 percent confident that Michael Sussman did not say he was there for a client, thus gutting his defense. Critical testimony from the uh, witness himself. Who, by the way, then billed time to Hillary Clinton camp, and he was there. So there's something a little bit more elaborate. What progress has Dorm made this week, last week, and what do you think What do you think he'll do this week? I think it's more about narrative, and for people who are following it, it, it was kind of an aha moment, something that people knew was likely the case. But to hear Robbie Mook say that Hillary Clinton authorized the leak of that stuff to the press about the linkage between Trump and the, and the Russian bank was sort of, you know, something that people had, had waited to hear. And, and that was a big moment. Now, for media organizations who don't or haven't covered this, it's tough for them to jump in because you got to explain it all. And their viewers or readers don't really fully understand it. So they're going back to to square one. But um, I think that there's significance here. I don't know if it's going to lead to criminal indictment, but I do think that it's going to have a report in the end that's going to verify what a lot of Trump supporters believed. Yeah, I I find it endlessly interesting, and I just think this is getting simpler. Uh, And now Peter Strzok is indeed next, along with Lisa Page. Then you see this thing being constructed slow, methodically, maddeningly slow. But you really see not only did the Mueller report, and I read the whole thing. There's some disturbing stuff in there, but no collusion, obviously, like it was portrayed. Brett, I don't know how much you switch channels, but there would have been no programming on CNN or MSNBC if there was no Mueller report. Think about it. How many months, 
how many months, literally, is the tick, tick, tick. Here's the next big bomb that's going to come in this thing. And Mueller spends all this time, and then that testimony on Capitol Hill was a total dud. And all of that time, all of that money, and Durham finds out that Hillary Clinton is the one who authorized the leak of the the bogus Trump-Russia bank thing. I mean, I, I don't fully understand how an independent counsel kind of misses all of that. Right, and they should have stopped it earlier, with your point. But you know what's very interesting? Remember Mullery fought, fired Page and struck quickly? Like, excuse me, removed them quickly because those text messages yeah. were handed over to him? That should have been a stop sign. Like, wait, okay, whoa, whoa, whoa. What, what are they doing? Where did they get involved? What, what brought them involved? Hey, guys, come on back here. Why and did you get into this? In the middle this? of that, Brian, we had a midterm in the middle of that. So had the investigation stopped and stopped short and said, oh, there's nothing here, and, you know, it didn't continue, how many seats would have changed hands because of the ongoing Russia investigation? That, that's a, be- a great point. And that, that decides if there's, a, a, if there's an impeachment on a Ukraine call or not in the House, if you don't lose the House, right? Totally. And you increased, you actually picked up two seats in the Senate, I think. Not many people remember that when a midterm's usually a disaster for the incumbent, for the one who won. Um, and then it wasn't that bad, but then Nancy Pelosi becomes speaker again, and uh, the hatred starts, and everybody digs in. Um, I, I just hope people on the other side just just follow this and start reporting it. I was amazed, Brett, when NBC reported the Hunter Biden laptop. It turns out Hunter Biden had investments in China. I almost fell <laughs> off the chair. I had no idea. I, I mean, did there... I mean, you've had a book, you've had <laughs> a documentary <laughs> on Fox, you've had hours of coverage for us, and then. They do a two-minute piece, and people say, NBC even says. It's like, where have you been? And then I see one commentator go, it's really better for his dad if Hunter just comes clean on his investments. Oh, that'll be good. Finally, <laughs> if Hunter just comes clean on his investments. That's and great. You know, that's not story's not done. And remember in the debate, Hunter is one of the smartest guys I know from President Biden. You know, I don't think that that can be backed up by a lot of the decision-making that Hunter's made, uh, judging by what we're finding out. And I'm just going to circle that as the biggest understatement Brett Baer has ever, ever, ever said. <laughs> uh, all right, Brett, I enjoyed our quality time. Always. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to watch it six tonight, okay? All right, sounds good. All right, uh, Brett Baer, thanks. one 408 Learning something new every day on The Brian Kilmeade Show. Information you want, truth you demand. This is the Brian Kilmeade Show. I'm sure the vast majority of parents do not take this lightly, and that is very hard to know when something is real or just a phase. And I understand being trans is different, it's innate. But kids do also have phases. They're kids, it's all phases the dinosaur phase, the Hello Kitty phase. One day they want to be an astronaut, the next day you can't get them to leave their room. Gender fluid, kids are fluid about everything. If kids knew what they wanted to be at age eight, the world would be filled with cowboys and princesses. I wanted to be a pirate. (laughs) Thank God nobody took me seriously and scheduled me for eye removal and peg leg surgery. That is, how how funny is that? 
No, I'm, all of it was fantastic. Yeah, it, it, but by the way, it's unbelievable that you have to go to comedy to talk about the lunacy of all this. And now if you bring that up, you're intolerant. You don't care. You don't understand. How dare you bring that, you know, how dare you bring your biased attitude or conservative values to this conversation? Now, the other cut you wanted me to play was 52? Yes, um, that one's great, and so is 51, so. Okay, so let's listen to 52. Yes, part of the rise in LGBT numbers is from people feeling free enough to tell it to a pollster, and that's all to the good. But some of it is, it's trendy. Penis equals man? Okay, boomer. Remember, the prime directive of every teen is anything to shock and challenge the squares who brought you up. And if you haven't noticed that with kids, doing something for the likes is more important than their own genitals, you haven't been paying attention. Dr. Erica Anderson is a prominent 71-year-old clinical psychologist who is herself transgender and who now says, I think it's gone too far. The LA Times summarizes, she's come to believe that some children identifying as trans are falling under the influence of their peers and social media. If you attend a small dinner party of typically very liberal upper-income Angelinos, it is not uncommon to hear parents who each have a trans kid having a conversation about that. What are the odds of that happening in Youngstown, Ohio? If this spike in trans children is all natural, why is it regional? Either Ohio is shaming them or California is creating them. If we can't admit that in certain enclaves there is some level of trendiness to the idea of being anything other than straight, then this is not a serious science-based discussion. It's a blow being struck in the culture wars using children as cannon fodder. I don't understand parents who won't let their nine-year-old walk to the corner without a helmet, an EpiPen, and a GPS tracker. And God forbid their lips touch dairy. But hormone blockers and genital surgery? Fine. Talk about a nut allergy. That is, it's brilliant. And it's just so concise to the point. But if it was said by, if it was said by Mark Levin or anything like that, uh, or anybody on the right, or, you know, now uh, Joe Rogan, then it's uh, this huge intolerant, these conservative guys are so out of touch, how dare they trigger others. Man, we find out the guy, the, the comedian, Dave Chappelle, gets rushed on stage. The guy who rushed on stage just wasn't drunk. He was triggered by an insensitive, what he called, trans, uh, trans joke, which he said should have been run by the trans community before they do anything. And like he, that, Mars says another point, just because you're like, you know, a minority doesn't give you like the right to object to everything and have like, ah. a greater voice. Right. Soon we're going to get Eric to weigh in. Eric just Maybe. wants to stay out of all this conversation. On, on all he things says space, no. <laughs> our NASA correspondent. Right, NASA correspondent <laughs> and board op and producer. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.